This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 615 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. And as always, my name is Matt Bond. And I remain the internet's Joe Patrick. It's time for another Cosmic Longbox episode where we explore comics of the past with a theme. And this week, we head into space where everyone can hear us scream about aliens versus comics. After that, we'll review the new Aliens comic from Marvel, and finally, we'll retire to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to tell you all about our must-read picks for next week's new comics. Hope you're ready to have a fleshy proboscis shoved down your throat, Joe Patrick, because the cosmic long box is warmed up and ready to impregnate us with its brood. I mean, we've been friends for 20 years. I'm used to it. As you heard, the Cosmic Long Box theme this week is Aliens versus dot, dot, dot. That's right. Everyone's favorite xenomorph has bumped into foes you wouldn't believe, and we're revisiting some of their most famous comic book crossover battles. And it only seems fitting to start at the beginning. Matt, tell these kids about the first time the alien met the predator, and they came together for a space Thanksgiving feast. Well, just like the real Thanksgiving, I'm afraid that history is incorrect, Joe. This was Aliens vs. Predator, number zero, from Dark Horse. It came out in 1990. Your creative team, it was written by Randy Stradley with art by Phil Norwood, who happened to be the art designer on RoboCop 2 and The Abyss. Now, this comic originally appeared as a three-part story that ran through Dark Horse Presents, starting in Dark Horse Presents number 36 in 1989. It would act as an introduction, and it was the very first time the words Aliens vs. Predator were ever printed. Wow. This black and white story follows a group of predators with a queen alien held captive on their ship. We see the predators taking the queen's eggs and storing them while they squabble and fight to choose a leader for their upcoming hunt on a young jungle planet. They scatter the eggs on the planet, letting the facehuggers attack the local animals and then send out their young warriors to prove themselves. Norwood's art is excellent. And because it's black and white, there's just no tricks to hide behind. He obviously studied his monsters here, along with the ship design and the tech of the Predators. Stradley wrote two stories, one that follows the plot I described, and the other is a conversation between two men on a ship who have a friendly argument about modern life. They sort of jab back and forth in friendly discussion about tech stealing the magic from life and about wanting to return to nature and do something actually challenging. And all this is happening while we see the predators like sorting out their hierarchy in this like old kind of caveman way. (laughs) This was an excellent intro to the battle that would rage on for the next 30 plus years. Had the original Aliens vs. Predator movie stuck to this script, it would have been amazing. But, you know, what can you do? I am giving this a buy it. Unfortunately, I don't think this is in print anymore. And I don't know if Marvel has any intentions of reprinting the old Dark Horse Aliens and Predator stuff. So you might have to dig for it. Well, I mean, I think that didn't they do it with Conan? 
Dark Horse was allowed to reprint a lot of that for a while, and now I don't know what they're doing with it. I don't know if they have the rights, but I don't think a lot of that's in print. I think they maybe did it with Star Wars. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know how these rights work. It might be different. Like, yes, it's all owned by Disney technically, but, like, re republishing, right, reprinting rights, you know, there's all sorts of different, like, legalities right. involved in, in uh, licensed stuff. Um, but, yeah, no, I thought this was... Uh, this was a, a blast. Uh, it, it, I was blown away by the art. Uh, I, like, I can't say enough about the art. I had not heard of either one of these creators before uh, I read this. And, uh, but uh, hearing what you said about the artist and his, uh, you know, his work history as a, as a Hollywood guy, art yeah. designer. Uh, yeah. I totally, I totally see it. Um, I, like the abyss is a beautiful movie, you know, like it's no, if there's one thing the abyss is remembered for, it's it's its effects. Okay, Marvel and, did uh, reprint the Star Wars stuff and does have the rights to reprint the Dark Horse Conan stuff. We have not heard about the Alien stuff yet. I assume it's gonna happen. Like, the books are have, just now coming out. Yeah, it's gonna happen. I would guess they have those rights. Yeah, uh, but yeah, this was really great, uh, and uh, I didn't really know that it got its start as a serial in Dark Horse Presents. Yeah, this is the first idea for the aliens to fight the Predator. Happened right here in good old Dark Horse Presents. To buy it from me, uh, unfortunately, as we will probably discover, it's been a series of diminishing returns ever since. <laughs> just like the movies. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like the movies. My first review is of Superman Aliens number one from DC slash Dark Horse. It came out in 1995. AlexCorp scientist invites Clark Kent and Lois Lane to cover the discovery of an alien probe entering Earth's atmosphere. What Clark, aka Superman, in case you're new to this, discovers is that the probe may have Kryptonian origins. And when he finds the source, a mysterious alien city floating in space, he ends up dealing with more than he bargained for. Spoilers, it's aliens. This came out during the height of post-crisis DC when Superman was the only living Kryptonian. Jurgens takes this opportunity, though, to fill the story full of fun red herrings and winks to classic Silver Age continuity meant to tease old fans. Because why not, right? Sure, yeah. <laughs> like, as lose. far as he knew, they were never going to reverse that decision. Sure. So. Little did he know, in like 10 years' time, it would be <laughs> Kryptonians out the wazoo. Oh, yeah. Aside from the head scientist being almost comically evil, or at least the lady that was like, Oh, screw me. the survivors. Yeah. I want the technology. Yeah. She was like, tie humanity to the railroad tracks and we'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll see and, what you happens. Know, I guess that's a, that's probably a, a, a job requirement for working at LexCorp. I guess. Uh, and, you know, there are a couple of uh, cheesy one-liners here and there. Otherwise, I thought Jurgen's script was strong. Uh, there's a reason why he was entrusted to guide Superman's adventures for so many years. The guy gets the character. Yeah. And, and if you can give him any credit at all, it's that. As with another book I'll mention later, Jurgens does a fine job explaining why one of the godlike icons of the DC universe would have any trouble whatsoever dealing with Xenomars. <laughs> the art is a bizarre mix of Jurgens' layouts and finished art by Kevin Nolan. It looks great, uh, but it is weird to see some panels that look like they should have been drawn by Jurgens. Uh, it's probably really only an issue for an old nerd like me that's read hundreds of his comics. Like I looked at some of these panels. And I was like, that is a Jurgens pose, you know, and I was able to recognize that sort of stuff. 
It's not a criticism, just a, a fun observation. I can't say I really noticed it, but I, I get it. Yeah, no, I doubt most people would not notice it. The colors by Gregory Wright and Android images are a bit muted and they strike a nice balance between the tone of the two properties. As the story eventually unfolds, we learn the tragic true nature of the alien city. Superman gets impregnated by an alien queen <laughs> and his powers are restored just in time for his system to uh, poop it out. He poops purge it, out. it. Let's call it purge. He it. poops it out. <laughs> yeah. He begs Lionel to cut his head off. <laughs> With his enchanted It's an inside sword. joke. Nobody knows about that. Yeah, we've made that joke a dozen times. Yeah, but not everybody's listened to the show for 10 years. <laughs> Keep that in mind. And look, it's a great joke. Hit me up on Twitter if you want me to explain it. Uh, I haven't read Superman Aliens in maybe 20 years, and I had a ton of fun revisiting it. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, this still totally holds up, and Jurgens did a really nice job with it. He sort of made LexCorp the Wayland yutani of modern DC. Of the modern day, right. Of the, yeah. of the uh, present day time, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, totally. And, and it works really well. And they didn't have to bend over backwards to make Superman have trouble with this. Like, it was somewhat creative. And there's a lot of other books we'll read where they were just like, oh, yeah, man, the alien showed up. And they're like so tough that even that guy had trouble. Like, no, this was well thought out, well written, yeah, yeah. well drawn. I'm giving it a buy it. Like, the worst thing you can say about it is that Superman's got a mullet. But yeah. it's 1995. That's how he was. Yeah. I mean, it was gross. <laughs> but that, that was the order of the day, I'm afraid. It was the order of the day. Take my ring and use it to defend against evil and injustice. I will, loving Zor. And I shall call myself Green Lantern. Well, sometimes one foe isn't good enough, so I decided I needed to talk about Aliens versus Predator versus the Terminator in an all-out Dark Horse orgy because they had the rights to all three at the time. Yeah, boy. This, this was written by Mark Schultz with art by Mel Ruby. There's some unpacking you'll want to do before reading this comic. Otherwise, there is no way you will know that the Ellen Ripley in this comic is the eighth clone of the Ripley from the movie Alien Resurrection, who was herself a clone with xenomorph DNA. Also, There's also a character that she recognizes that's just, like, glossed over. No, I'll get into that. Also, not a good movie, I might add. You also probably won't remember... Annalie Kyle, the woman who comes looking for Ripley, number eight, who was the waif android in Alien Resurrection, played oh, Winona by Ryder. Winona Ryder. The reason you won't know that is because you won't recognize them, because Ruby makes no effort whatsoever to make them look like the actresses at all. <laughs> I mean, you know, I kind of appreciate that, though. Uh, okay. You know, if it's not your strong suit, don't force it. Uh, a lot of things aren't Mel Ruby's strong suit, and we'll get to that. So this Ripley isn't just a clone, though. When she is cloned, she has her memories. And when she finds out the military is using Xeno DNA to make super soldiers, she wants payback and to shut them down. And she will not shut up about it constantly with the they won't give me my death i remember it again and again and again and all the one is my death like okay i get it meanwhile wasn't th wasn't that kind of um that was kind of the status quo in alien resurrection wasn't it where it's like really they keep bringing me back things sort of like start to come back to her after a while as winona Ryder reminds her of stuff but here it's just full-on back and it's been an issue for a while i guess Nah. Meanwhile, Dr. Trollenberg is hard at work aboard the science station Typhoon, wow. but when the military shows up, Trollenberg turns out to be a Terminator! But not just 
any Terminator. Trollenberg is a crypto Terminator. Now, what's a crypto Terminator, you may be asking? Let the guy who read the Wikipedia on this tell you all about it. A crypto Terminator was left over after the battle with Skynet. They were Terminators that didn't know they were Terminators. Just Terminators walk around pretending to be people. But at such time that the technology exists to make a bigger and better Skynet, they will come back and start the war all over again. <laughs> Woo. See, and I thought it would be something fun, like a Terminator that had been merged with alien parts no. for some reason. It's pretty well but accepted no. amongst fans anyway that the first alien movies are the only ones worth paying attention to, but no one told Dark Horse at the time. What we get here is a macho smash fest playing on the worst ideas set up by Alien 4 with really bad art. The addition of the Terminator neither helps nor makes much sense, but to be fair, the Terminator franchise got so lost in its own time travel that it stopped making any sense after the second film. Which leads me to the question I always ask, and the main problem with Terminator, why not just keep going back in time until you get it right? You know? Send a thousand Terminators back in time. You have a time machine. Yeah, right. Come on! <laughs> like, we... We've seen the opening scene of every Terminator movie where it's an army of fleshless robots right. overwhelming the rebellion. And that's all we wanted Just to see. And they never skin showed on it your to us. army and send them back in time. <laughs> yeah. Schultz writes the story very seriously and leans into the weird Ripley performance from Alien 4. So I can't say that I blame him. There was obviously editorial direction to say this is probably coming out the same week as Alien 4 or something, and it's going to be a smash hit, so we're rolling with it. It was a clever way to bring all three properties together, I guess. Alien Resurrection came out in 1997, so they were late to that party. Well, they thought it was a huge hit anyway. <laughs> Nobody told them it wasn't a huge hit. This was a clever way to bring all three properties together, I guess, but it does Man. so with the worst ideas of the Alien franchise and the worst ideas of the Terminator franchise. The story doesn't need Ripley or even a mention of the Alien films to be a slam-bang Aliens versus Predator versus Terminator book, but that's what Dark Horse wanted, and that's what Mark Schultz gave them. I am giving this a skim it, because work went into it, and they tried um, very yeah, hard. <laughs> technically, I'm... And it's okay, not laughably bad. It isn't. It's just based on some bad ideas. Now, I think that the art has some good moments, but there's also like some really odd distorted faces and like super deformed, gross looking bodies yeah. and not, not in like a purposeful way. And like Mel Ruby um, was one of those guys that I remember from Wildstorm and he would come and do fill in stuff on books that I loved. Like he showed up to do Backlash and sure, it yeah. just was not Brett Booth. It was absolutely right, right. not Brett Booth. And he was trying. Well, I mean, and conversely, it was like when uh, Heroes Reborn started and six issues in, it was Brett Booth instead of Jim Lee. And everyone right. was like, what the fuck? Right. <laughs> you know, Mel Ruby was that guy. And he's not terrible, but he's also not not Good. great. <laughs> so. uh, did you uh, did you mention that the Predator only actually appears in full in one panel and he's invisible? Well, I mean, that was one of the things we talked about when I said I want to review these, but like we're not even getting into it. Like the whole next, the whole well, next I mean, I issue. Think it's, I think it's definitely worth all mentioning, Predator, you know? you know? Like, yeah, I mean, he's yeah. invisible here. You no, know, they show him. And when they show well, him, uh, so Super Soldier guy just murders him. him. <laughs> so. Right, right. They, like they show him like clinging to the wall, invisible. He's like sh slinging his little razor blade things around. 
And uh, next thing you know, there's this like super mutant thingy. I don't even remember what the fuck it was. The, well, uh, the super mutant thing, it turns out that this doctor, Terminator guy, is splicing uh, yeah. human DNA with predator DNA to make okay, super sure. soldiers. And the predators <laughs> want to fight the super soldiers. Oh, and there's aliens there too. <laughs> so, okay. like, um, but yeah, so the next time you see the predator, it's uh, three panels before the end and he's just getting tossed around the room. Like it's it, the predator is essentially a non-entity in this comic book. Yeah. Well, a bunch of them um, show up in the next one. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. Uh, yeah. You know what? This is a skim it because I, I cert- look, it's certainly not the worst thing I read this week. No. And you, can, and you can see these guys working. You can see it. And they right. took it very seriously. You know, the state of these franchises in the year 2000 was not great. All three franchises. Yeah. You know, they were working with what they had. It's just that what they had wasn't really great. And nobody wants to remember Alien Resurrection. No. No, not really. What do you think? What should we do? I don't know. I'm a stranger here myself. Okay, well, we certainly felt some things there. Next up for me, speaking of feeling things. Oh, God, I'm sorry about this. It's Witchblade, Aliens, Darkness, Predator, colon, Overkill, number one, from Image, Top Cow, Dark Horse. Yeah, it was the all year. there. It was all there. <laughs> It was also the year 2000. A lot of these came out in the year 2000. The Xenomorphs and the Predators are back on Earth, proving once again that no matter who wins, we lose. But this time they have to contend with Witchblade and the Darkness for reasons that I could not be bothered to remember. (laughs) Paul Jenkins, Eisner Award winning writer. That Paul Jenkins. (laughs) The Inhumans and the Sentry. Yes. He is our writer for this story. In fact, Inhumans had already come out at this point, and the Sentry was next on the docket, according to the back matter. And while I have certainly not loved a lot of his work following the Sentry, I can hardly believe that this is the same guy. Yeah. The dialogue is painfully bad, full of terrible ethnic stereotypes and mob movie cliches. Jackie Estacado... I think that's how it's spelled. Yes. The aforementioned darkness. And if you go back and like read any of those darkness comics, they were all like that. It was like, Oh yeah. I mean, Paul Jenkins was the writer of the darkness for a long time. And he's basically doing good fellas with supernatural, like crustacean armor thing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Jackie, the darkness sets up an elaborate trap for a drug dealer named cake. That's important. And I'll tell you why in a second. That results in his victim getting his dick blown off with a shotgun. I'm looking, at it, looking at it right Why? now. Teach him a lesson, it, Joe. It's, it's so that later on in the book, when Cake is recovering in the hospital, one of his flunkies can make fun of him by calling him Little Debbie. Get it? Because his dick got blown yeah, off. Yeah, and, and his nickname's Cake. Yep. Yes. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> the art Appreciate by Clarence <laughs> Lanzang and Joe Benitez is equally dodgy from the, I can't believe it's not Mark Silvestri school. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was popular with Top Cow at oh, the time yeah. and still today, actually. 
I will say that I did think. I mean, Top Cow uh, was Sylvester, though. Like he started that, and so yeah. I mean, it's true in the same way were that all like everything guys. Extreme Studios was uh, from the Liefeld school. Yeah, you know, this these were his guys, so of course they all drew exactly like him. Right. I, I do have to give Lansing credit and Benitez as well. I suppose, I, though I could not tell the two apart. Uh, I did think that the storytelling was mostly clear. And I did like the pacing of the action here and there. Like there were some scenes from the point of view of the predator that I thought were kind of neat. And there's one scene in particular that's like, I, I love that effect in comics where it's like two or three panels with the same pose. And there's only like slight differences yeah. showing what happened. Yeah. Uh, and one of them is like a gang banger standing out front of uh, his, their headquarters or whatever. And he's like waving at his crony. And the next thing you know, the next panel, he's in the same pose, but his hand is gone. And then in the third panel, his face is sliding off the rest of his yeah. body. I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. Good job. It is the height of 90s excess about a half decade too late. This comic is so high on its own supply that it's got not one, but two introductions. Yep. It is not a trade. It is a comic book. <laughs> It's a single issue comic book. It's got two introductions. Oh, and the intro is so serious too. They're oh like, yeah, boy. We work God, so, so closely with the creators of the aliens to make sure that that we represented oh. their character so yeah. well. It's, it's like so you it's maybe so true to the should vision. have thought about your own characters. <laughs> it's so true to the vision. The back cover of Overkill number one, and I don't mean to keep piling on, but I must. It has a quote from Paul Jenkins. This is on the back cover of the comic book, which means if you were at the shop and you picked it up off the rack and you took a look before you bought it, you would see this quote in which he compares the amount of blood in the series to the menstrual cycle of a humpback whale. That is not a joke. Jesus Christ. It's there. It's so edgy, you guys. So edgy. This comic book was aggressively bad. I did not even care to look up how the story ends. I'm giving it a huge leave it. It's terrible. It ends exactly the way you think it does. And yes, we, look, all 90 schlock aside, I will say that the illustrators did a good job capturing the visage of the predator and the alien. I'll say that. Okay. That's very difficult. And that's one of the things you have to have in a good alien or predator comic. You got to realize those characters on the page and they did a good job of that with all that aside it's just like the witchblade and the fucking darkness mow through these guys like it is no problem for them whatsoever and they quip about it. like you're one ugly bastard like oh that's clever i wonder what they got that from oh yeah it's from the end of fucking predator give me a break but they wouldn't didn't they were afraid to use MF, because, Son of a bitch. Oh, no, yeah, motherfucker, right. because this is a PG-13 comic. <laughs> oh, oh, that reminds me of something else. Uh, this comic is technically, it, it's a hard PG-13. Yeah. Because they use words like uh, a douchebag, a Jackie says Jesus, H. Christ. You know, like he's using words that you probably wouldn't hear in a, in a PG-13 movie from that era. Right. Um, however, uh, when it comes time to actually... Uh, use curse words instead of saying asshole they write amp uh at symbol dollar sign dollar sign hole right just like you guys have to, you're just not, like you have to cuss in like a video game now because they've censored sure. all those words <laughs> but you're, like you're not tricking anybody right and then also in the book uh 
when one of the uh, gang members is surprised and murdered by, uh, I, I think it was the alien, they have one of those word balloons where the character is interrupted in mid-word. And instead of saying, what the fuck? And then, you know, impaled. It's, what the frick? He's about to say, what the frick? <laughs> and like, I like... By the time I got to that part, I was already on the lookout for ammunition ammunition for this review. <laughs> and it did not disappoint. Yeah, I mean, like, look, the Witchblade and the Darkness are very 90s at its height. You know, like, this was post-massive image, you know, took over the world of comics. And now they're just, like, kind of rolling with it. And these characters are wearing thin and Paul Jenkins would end up leaving soon to go back to Marvel and do stuff and actually win awards. So, like, you know. It's just like, like in three years' time, uh, I, I don't actually remember the timeline of events. I think that this was after uh, Mark Silvestri had quit Image and then come back because they had ousted Liefeld. Uh, so, uh, uh, Mark Silvestri is back uh, as a founding member of Image. Like, his imprint did not grow up with the rest of the company not at in all. No. less than three years time the walking dead and invincible come out right and image comics has changed forever but you went to top cow to do this stuff this is what they wanted at the time we wanted top cow sucks we wanted i'm sorry girl in bikini that's barely covered with crustacean stuff and fully clothed dude in full armor you know like there you go right so, yeah, yeah. no it's a like, leave it for me i don't want to talk about this anymore it was bad <laughs> so. I, like, okay okay real quick real quick real quick uh, the first thing in the book that made me roll my eyes back all the way in my skull was that uh, after the shotgun to the balls incident, Sarah Pazzini, who is the Witchblade, shows up to recruit also Italian. Jackie. <laughs> also Italian, yeah. Pazzini, Estacado. Right. He is wearing a pristine white suit. Always. That was his jam. Because he's a mobster, right? Yeah, that was his jam. And she is dressed like literally like a prostitute. Well, she's a cop. Like, she's working vice. That's no, she isn't. A, she is a homicide detective. She doesn't work vice. No, she works she vice. Says that she had, no, she said that she had, uh, she had just had a bunch of murder cases drop into her lap. She is a homicide detective. Oh, I thought she was a vice detective. No, that's and why she's and, certainly and she dresses not an like, undercover cop. And she dresses like Daisy Duke. Yeah. <laughs> Very well done, gentlemen. Like if the dialogue had been different, I would not have been surprised if she was trying to solicit him for sex. Fair enough. Don't miss Yancey Butler in a world premiere TNT original, Witchblade. What the hell are you? Justice. Next up for me, we turn the world of 2000 AD. It's Judge Dredd versus Aliens, Incubus. This was 2002. It was written by John Wagner, co-creator of Judge Dredd and writer of A History of Violence. And Andy Diggle. No kidding. Yeah. I didn't know that he wrote a history. And Andy Diggle. One of our favorite Daredevil writers for a while who ended up writing some really weird Daredevil stuff in the end of his run. <laughs> with, uh, he was not a great Daredevil writer, but he, I do really like him. I again. liked him when he started with art by Henry Flint, who is like a go-to old school 2000 AD guy. This four-part story was originally printed in 2000 AD, Prague's 1322 to 1335. They're serialized, so it was broken way up. It was printed. I do a, not understand the numbering of 2080 at all. It was a four issue miniseries here in the States, but it was just reprinted right out of those books. So Judge Dredd is breaking up a demonstration protesting a new super tower that's being built using energy from magma from Earth's mantle. 
At the same time, a loser named Jimmy is running from the mob and warning them to leave him alone because something is inside of him. Turns out Jimmy was helping move some new critters for the pit fights, and they just happen to be xenomorphs. In true judge fashion, they attack the xeno head on and end up getting showered with acid blood and speared by razor-sharp tails. Judge Dredd is, of course, completely unfazed and ready to exterminate some bugs. I have a soft spot for Dread and 2080's cast of characters, so any excuse to read more is fine with me. Wagner, He's so ridiculous, and I love him. But that's why. they like. Yeah, no, it's so... Whereas the, like, he is definitely a fascist. And we'll talk about it like at the end of my review here. But Wagner and Diggle bring the alien to Mega City 1 effortlessly, and it feels like alien continuity could easily take place in the same universe as Dread's. Unlike the last crossover I reviewed, this one gets down to the business of aliens killing people with excellent art from Flint, who seems to have studied third-degree burn victims before drawing his melting victims. I loved this first issue so much that I read the whole miniseries, and it was just great. If you're an alien fan who's never read Dread or vice versa, you cannot go wrong here. The... I'm giving this a massive buy it. And like you were saying, the beauty of Dread, the dude is a complete fascist. No question. And he represents a fascist ideal. And But they have sort of accepted the fact that, like, we don't have any other choice because the future sucks so bad. <laughs> yeah, we're like, humanity is fucked, guys. Right. I, you know, it, whereas, like, the Darkness and the Witchblade are also ridiculous characters that are blown way out, way out of proportion. Dread is handled so well that you cannot help but root for this ridiculous fascist that at one point in this book sends a 70-year-old a 72-year-old grandmother to prison for 12 months for not reporting her grandson for smuggling aliens. <laughs> it was yeah. it's just great. Like the merging of these two properties is effortless. It's yeah. effortless and the more ridiculous it gets the more fun it becomes. Uh there is an image on the uh, the the next issue page, I guess it would normally be considered a letters page if it were an ongoing, and uh, it's got a, a just a completely ludicrous picture of Dread uh, holding a chest burster by the tail and firing his gun into its mouth. Yeah. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> but that's Judge Dread, man. No, like, yeah, but it's it's so great. Like, it's if so anybody great. can handle um, this shit, it's Judge Dread. Like, I'll buy that he doesn't have a lot of trouble with them. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I'll buy no, that. sure. For sure. And, uh, you know, like, uh, John Wagner, if you're going to get ju- uh, a comic book, uh, if you're going to get a writer to write Judge Dread, you get the guy that created Judge Dread. Yeah. And Henry Flint is like one of the most British looking artists I've read in a long time. His art is amazing. This comic is wonderful. It's a huge buy it. Like I had a ton of fun. Flint is one of those guys that gave 2000 AD its style. He had been around for years and years and years and years. Yeah, no. uh, So when you think 2000 AD, pardon me, when you think 2000 AD, you're probably thinking of Henry Flint art and you don't know it. Uh, Like you are going to make fun of me for this, but I only know Henry Flint uh, prior to prior to me being exposed to his, his uh, work in uh, 2080. My only exposure to Henry Flint was him uh, doing guest art on Guy Gardner warrior in the nineties. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Like he, he did guest art a, a, a few times and yeah, he was great then. All right, my final Cosmic Longbox review of the week goes to Green Lantern versus Aliens, 
you know it's serious because they spell out verses. Oh, yeah. V-E-R-S-E. <laughs> yeah, this ain't no V-S book. That's right. It's from DC slash Dark Horse. It came out again in the year 2000. After a Green Lantern dies under mysterious circumstances, the Guardians of the Universe send a squad of their best and brightest, including a young Hal Jordan, to investigate what they find is a planet overrun with xenomorphs. After a few moments of terrorizing surprise, the Lanterns obviously have no problem rounding up the creatures, and Hal convinces the group to transport them to Mogo, where they can live in peace without hurting anyone. Seems like a bad idea in hindsight, but bear in mind, this is the year 2000, and it's also a Silver Age flashback. So none of that stuff from the Jeff Johns era about Mogo basically being a spa for the Green Lantern Corps was canon. But right. like Mogo was just a living planet that nobody lived on. Fast forward a decade as we see a ship crash land on the living planet. Yikes. In future issues, the core has been destroyed by Parallax, leaving Kyle Rayner as the last Green Lantern. A group of former Lanterns, including Salek, who was in the uh, original party at the beginning of the issue, recruit Kyle to investigate the crash and drama ensues. During this era of Green Lantern, I don't know why, but DC had a habit of allowing Ron Mars to reference things that happened in intercompany crossovers in the main series. It referenced DC versus Marvel. And there was even a sly mention of the silver surfer. If I recall correctly, like in the pages of regular green lantern. Yeah, there definitely was. And like, I don't know if it was just Easter eggs were the order of the day or like what I mean, they were going also, for. The year 2000 was peak DC Marvel crossover time. Like they could not, you couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting a DC Marvel crossover. They were the order of the day oh, yeah. and a younger Joe Patrick absolutely loved it. In this series, major characters from the Green Lantern mythos are killed in later <laughs> issues. Yep. And I think that it sticks for a long time. <laughs> Eventually, a, a sexy robot lady would help Kyle purge Mogo of the Xenomorphs. And all's well that ends well. Uh, I call her a robot. But in the true theme of this week's show, I had to look up a term like Matt did. The term that Wikipedia uses to describe this character is a gynoid. And if you think it through long enough, you'll realize what the first part of that word is referencing. Oh. <laughs> Lady parts. Oh, okay. Gyno. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the Ron Mars run of Green Lantern totally holds up. This issue could easily be considered part of that. Mars writes a great Silver Age Hal. Uh, this, this Hal is like, Look, these creatures are not sentient. They're instinctive. They are basically walking sharks. We can't just slaughter them. Let's find them a place where they can live in peace. Well, guess what, Hal? You, you fucked up. <laughs> it's so perfectly you, Hal, though. That's that's no, what, yeah, of course. That's what I, I really like, like about the, like that in, Silver Age Hal. Exactly what the, he would have done. Right, and, and in that needed, moment, you needed a Kyle to come along and be like, "Yes, uh, no, these things need to die. We got to kill yeah. these things. <laughs> They're bad, right. bad, bad." <laughs> and in that moment, it was the right decision. Like, absolutely, there's no way the Green Lantern Corps would have snuffed out no. a group of alien creatures. It's not their no. style. Uh, Mars also does a good job justifying why a bunch of space animals would be a threat to a Green Lantern, even if it's only for a moment. 
uh, the rings work on willpower and concentration. Yeah. If a xenomorph steps out of the shadows, they move real fast. You don't have time to think. Yeah. You'd be lucky if you keep your head attached. You're dead meat. It makes perfect sense. The art team is stacked as well. Uh, Rick Leonardi is on pencils, Mike Perkins inks, and Dave Stewart colors. This is a gorgeous comic book. Green Lantern versus Aliens, number one, is a really fun start to a series that I remember enjoying a lot. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, they, they did a great job here. And again, I read this whole thing because it, it was pretty quick. It's a, it's a quick read. But it is a very fast read. But it's fun. It's just fun. And it, and it does a really nice job looking at the Silver Age superhero versus the modern superhero and using the alien as a tool to tell that story. In, a, in the difference between the two and why old school golden, like old school silver age and golden age characters. Well, no, they never killed. They never did anything like that. But as the world became more complex, we wanted more complex stories and we wanted our characters to have to make more complex decisions. And using the alien as that tool is perfect. It was great. This is a fantastic story. Yeah. The art like, is, is amazing. They do a great job drawing the aliens, drawing like heightening the tension with the green lanterns, like walking through dark, you know, corridors with their, for some reason, their lanterns aren't that bright. They've got them kind of turned down. <laughs> I don't know why they don't just like light that shit up. You know? right, like, yeah. like, but I loved it. Huge bite. Get away from her, you bitch. That is it for our Cosmic Longbox reviews. Now it's time to decide which one makes it into the collection. Joe, which aliens versus dot, dot, dot crossover are you bagging and boarding? Oh, man, I should have been more prepared for this because now that I've revisited our picks, I'm double, I'm second guessing myself. I was super impressed with the quality of aliens versus predator number zero. I loved revisiting Green Lantern versus aliens. But I had so much fun reading Judge Dredd versus Aliens. Yeah. So much fun. I, I would argue it's the most effective one. It, like, this is the one that I would want to reread over again. Yeah. It's the most... I, I'm Okay, so I'm I'm going to pick the Aliens versus Predator. Because at that time, when this came out, we literally, like, really knew nothing about the background of the aliens or the background and the culture of the Predator. And these guys made it up. They just kind of made this shit up. And it's awesome. You get to see the predators in the ship, the way they interact, the way like they have these like hunting culture and everything. That all came out of this. They just made that yeah, shit like up. The, the closest we had ever come prior to that was Danny Glover getting a peek inside the yeah. uh, predator ship it's, with all the other predators. Seeing alien skulls, you know, or whatever. Yeah, right. And the and the uh, uh, the revelation that they'd been coming to Earth for hundreds of years. Right. You know. So I, I'm giving it to that. But I think the Judge Dredd book was just so much fun. And, like, I wanted to talk about what makes a good Aliens crossover. And I think it's not forcing the issue. Finding a character yeah. it works with, like it worked with Green Lantern. It worked with right. Superman because they were clever enough to do it. But it works with Judge Dredd so well because you have this awful nightmare of a menace that is killing people in Mega City 1. Judge Dredd is going to come shoot it, you know? Like, yeah, like, and, there, and, so there are two There are two types of alien stories, effective alien stories. There are, unfortunately, lots of different types of alien stories yes. that all are, yes. that are mostly terrible. But 
you've got the uh, in space, no one can hear you scream, tension filled. Right. What's around that dark corner? What's snuck up behind me, alien? Right. And then you've got the we are overrun because this is an infestation. Well, it's the difference between Alien 1 and Aliens and, and you know, Alien 2. Right, yeah. yeah. And, you know, uh, it totally makes perfect sense why space-faring superheroes would bump into Xenomorph. Sure. 100%. It also makes total sense that some shithead brought Xenomorphs to Earth. Of course, yeah. And they are now running amok in Mega City 1. Or a company did it and someone stole something and guess yeah, what? Yeah, right. You know, that, yes. it's always about, like, I don't like throwing the Prometheus around because I hated that fucking movie, but it is always about, like, humanity's flaw in thinking we can control this, we want to learn about this. Yeah, yeah. We it's get, like, uh, we're smart. Every- we got this, right? And no. No, you don't. This is a force of nature. <laughs> it's a bad idea. You have to fucking kill these things, you know? It is a tale as old as time, and when you don't have to bend over backwards to make the concept work, that's what makes a crossover good. Right. And the, the tough part being, we're talking comics here, so it's very hard to develop that creepy in space, no one can hear you oh, scream. Oh, yeah, and that is another thing. Yeah, it's like... Uh, That's very hard very, to develop. Very few, and we've talked about it before, we've reviewed Alien comics a dozen times on the show. It's really difficult to get the menace of the aliens uh, to transfer to comics, to right. the print medium. And I think that several of the books we read this week totally nailed it. Speaking of transferring aliens to the print medium, now that we're back on our proper timeline and we've seen what these xenomorphs can do, it's time to team up and take our two-headed form for a tag team review of Marvel's new alien comic. I forget, is it alien or aliens? It is alien. Alien with no S. Just alien. Yes, which means only one alien. We are talking about Alien Number One, your creative team. It's written by Philip Kennedy Johnson with art by Salvador La Roca. When Disney officially absorbed 20th Century Fox, they acquired the rights to both Aliens and Predator. And since Disney owns Marvel, this week sees the release of the first Marvel Aliens comic. The story follows Gabriel Cruz, who served in the military industrial complex working for the Whalen Utani Corporation. After a close encounter with Xenomorphs, recently retired Cruz is trying to patch things up with his abandoned son with the help of his friend, a bishop model android that also serves as a psychiatrist. But while he was gone, Gabe's son fell in with some anti Whalen Utani activists and plans to use his father to get back at the company they believe is destroying the world. I didn't know where Marvel was going to go with this, quite honestly. And it seemed to me, like we were just saying, it's very difficult to create that creepy feeling of the first Alien movie and much easier to just go for an Aliens. Bunch of Marines with guns shooting, you know, Aliens come down. Like, that's action, baby. Let's do it. But I feel like Philip Kennedy Johnson really fought that urge and struck a very nice balance where he told us the story of a retired Marine who had this experience and survived, but he is haunted. It has ruined him. Like when Mm -hmm. he sleeps, he sees nightmare versions of these aliens everywhere and pictures his friend's last words as he was, you know, tied up in the goop and getting ready to be impregnated by one of these face hugger things. And I thought Johnson did a fantastic job here, even in the scenes where Gabe is just talking with the Bishop robot 
and like talking about his feelings and how to reconnect and how he's going to talk to his son when he comes home and the darkness that's in him and the darkness that he sees and how now that he's going to earth, that darkness is gone, right? It's not going to be around. It's not going to follow him, but it totally does. Yeah. I, I mean, was, it's this, it's the story of any, you know, uh, affected Vietnam vet. Yeah. They're dealing with trauma. Gulf war veteran or they're, whatever. Just like we talked about how, you know, Ron Mars used the green lanterns between the silver age and modern to deal with superhero decisions. Philip Kennedy Johnson is dealing with trauma here, post-traumatic stress disorder, if you will, and using the aliens as the traumatizer. And I was really, really pleasantly surprised with the writing of this. The art is very LaRocca. Yeah, it's very it's LaRocca. modern LaRocca. <laughs> and some of it I really liked. I thought his designs of the aliens looked good. The creepy scenes looked very creepy. The uses of the blacks and the blues to make the aliens look wet and gross. Very good. There's just something about him drawing people where it's like, it's too realistic. Yeah. They look like they're made of food. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I, can't, I, I don't like it. I don't know if that's the like way they're I'd sculpted it, from mashed potatoes way too uh, well. Like Leonardo da Vinci sculpted them out of mashed potatoes, you know? The writing. Uh, yes, I, uh, I was impressed by this. Uh, it's interesting because. Uh, this comic has a lot of talking uh, yeah. and, you know, for an act for what is essentially an action story, uh, you might think, oh man, there's too much talking, but it's very compelling. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and also another thing to note is that uh, neither one of the main characters is sympathetic. Uh, Gabe, Gabe went through some shit. Yes, that's true. But he also was a tool of the Wayland Yutani Corporation, and they do very, very bad things, and he knows it. Oh, yeah. And uh, on the other hand, his son is basically a domestic terrorist. Yep. <laughs> and so, yeah, you've got two characters who are basically the leads of the story, and you don't really want to root for either one of them. And yet, I had moments where I was like, oh, shit. Oh, shit, he's going to get it. Well, you know, like I, right. I was and they're worried. Both, they're both broken for different reasons that they don't understand. Yeah. And yeah. being used by a larger system and whatnot. And right. that is that is the part that a lot of these super shitty aliens comics that we have talked about just don't get. They don't understand the larger story of alien. And that is mm -hmm. the more man tries to control things, such as the military industrial complex that is running everything, the more the scarier the larger threat will be when they try to control something they shouldn't. This is a very, very slight spoiler. No details here, but there is a scene uh, at a Wayland yutani station where uh, one character is confronting another and character B is like, or character A is like, open that door, open that door. I want to know what's behind that door. And character B who works on the station is like, I am not fucking opening that door. Yeah. With a gun in their and face is like, and basically like <laughs> basically commit suicide to keep that door from being open. Yeah. And yeah, like human beings just don't know how to leave well enough alone. And that is the moral of the alien franchise. Absolutely. Uh, the art. Salvador LaRocca, I know is a talented artist. I've seen it. He's extremely uh, talented, but my, in the same way that Greg land evolved LaRocca, 
leans very heavy on photo reference for his uh, human beings. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, like I did kind of appreciate that his bishops looked like Lance Henriksen. That's, that's important. That's fun. That's a thing. Like the bishop model is a thing. Just like the alien. I wouldn't want the alien to look weird, you know? Right. Um, but it definitely looked like every character in this book was based on a real person, just not a person that you know. Yeah. The the son it, was definitely an actor, and I kept looking at it. It going, just it threw Who me for a loop. Guy? Who you know, is that and, guy? <laughs> Some artists pull that off. Like Alex Ross, 100% bases every character he paints on a person that he knows in real life. Sure. But he's so good at it. I would also argue Alex Ross doesn't do it with famous people. And the problem is Salvador La Roca. Uh, not for the most part. Does it right. with famous people. And you can look at any one of these characters and be like, is that the main actor from Heroes? The good looking like mayor's, you know, younger brother kid? Oh, see, but I, that that I didn't the, really, like I didn't really recognize any of the other characters other than Bishop, but I could be wrong. Um, another thing though, uh, is that in the, in the advent of digital art, which it is very clear to me that LaRocca uses, there's a tendency for his layouts to look assembled rather than drawn. Yeah, I agree. Like, I don't know if it's a this computer is, thing. Is it something digital? Maybe. Well, that's digital is done on a computer or, or a tablet or some no, sort but of I mean, like, device. Do you think it's like a digital thing where he has like rooms digitally I, saved and he puts he, his I, pictures on I top think of he them? 100% mocks up all of his architecture in a program, yeah. which a lot of artists do. I think he also draws individual elements from panels and then puts them together like a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. Rather than composing an image as a whole. Now, Again, that's a trick that I know other artists do. It's just that with other artists, it's not obvious yeah. and it's obvious to me. I, I made a very similar criticism about uh, Mike Diodato years ago yeah. where it's like this guy drew one mech suit and then multiplied it by a dozen times and then threw them in the panel. Diodato definitely went through a phase. I think he has improved a lot. Yes. And, you know, again, it takes a level of talent that I do not possess. Uh, I I just wish that I didn't see it. Yeah, that's the thing. This doesn't look bad. It it doesn't look bad at all. It's a very well-illustrated book, but you can see the tricks working. You know what I mean? Right. All of that said, though, you know, for all of our criticism about how hard it is to get alien comics right, I thought this was great. Yeah, they nailed it. They got this right. No question. It's a, it's I a huge it w- buy it from me. I thought it was excellent. I got to give mad props to Marvel for not going straight to aliens versus the Savage Avengers. And uh, this yeah. is a great start. I Buy it. Yeah, this is a buy it from me as well. I, I, thought, I thought that it was tense. I thought that it was atmospheric. I thought that it was uh, exciting, uh, despite the fact that it possessed so many talking heads. And the talking heads that were in the book, I was very compelled Definitely. by what they had to say. Yeah. And I'm not sure who the hero is of this piece, but I definitely want to see what happens next to both of them. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I can't say it any better than that. Great job. Well, it turns out in space, they're not lying. No one can hear you scream. And uh, we blew out our voices. 
testing that theory. So it's time to relax with some hot toddies made by our bartender, a damaged Bishop model that we got off Craigslist. Turns out it was just that half that was left after the queen cut him up. So there is like some milk that sprays out of him here and there. But the guy makes a mean Manhattan, huh? And we got it for nothing. And we're going to talk about what you need to be reading next week. Joe, what is your must-read pick? Next week, I'm looking forward to Shadecraft, number one. It's written by Joe Henderson with art by Lee Garbett. It's 32 pages for $3.99, and here's your solicit. Zadie Lou is afraid of her own shadow. She's a teenager, so she really should have grown out of it by now, right? Give me but break. something weird is happening in her small town. Zadie could swear the shadows are coming to life, watching her, trying to kill her. But how do you fight something you can't even touch? And how does all of this tie into her family, of all things? Uh, this is from the creative team of the Eisner-nominated Skyward oh. writer Joe Henderson, I thought I uh, who also that happens to be the showrunner of uh, Lucifer, mm -hmm. which, you know, yeah. we don't need to get into that. Your mileage may vary. <laughs> Your mileage may vary, yes. Uh, and Lee Garbett, who uh, has drawn Captain Marvel, he also did a great run on, I, I think it was, the Stephanie Brown Batgirl was Lee Garbett. Is that right? Yes, because Marcus Toe drew Red Robin and Lee Garbett drew Batgirl. Uh, and I think Lee Garbett is a great artist. The solicit from Image includes a, a cash register pitch for a retailer to make to a prospective customer. <laughs> the dark tones of Demon Slayer and Something is Killing the Children meets a cast of contemporary teen characters not unlike Veronica Fish and Kelly Thompson's Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Oh. So there you have it. There you go. Lee Garbett did do back row. You are correct. Thank you. Yeah, he's good. He's really good. My pick for next week is Beta Ray Bill, number one of five. It's a King and Black tie-in. Now just chill out. because I mean, it's the, it's the pick of my heart, because how could it not be? A lot of these King and Black tie-ins have been fantastic. This is from yeah. Marvel Comics. It is written and drawn by Daniel Warren Johnston. I can't wait. It is 40 pages for $4.99. Here is your solicit. I'm not going to read the beginning part because we know it's coming out of King of Black. The second most famous wielder of Mjolnir, the right-hand man to the God of Thunder, and now a warrior without his best weapon. Beta Ray Bill is tired of playing second fiddle to Thor and with Bill's famous hammer, Stormbreaker, recently destroyed at the new All-Father's hands. Tensions are higher than ever. The Corbinite must strike out in search of a new weapon and find new destiny, assuming he can first defeat nullified Fin Fang Foom. If that doesn't sell you <laughs> on mean, the book, I don't know what does. A Venom Fin Fang Foom. Here's what should sell you if nothing else does. Daniel Warren Johnson, who yes. did the creator of Wonder Woman Dead Earth, who which got my best miniseries for last year. It yes was amazing. The dude is a wildly talented creator. I hope this does so well that they say, Daniel, Beta Ray Bill is yours. Do whatever you would like with him. Do him forever. And give uh, me 300 murder, murder issues. Falcon, <laughs> uh, murder Falcon, which was my favorite book of the previous year. Oh, yeah. Uh, he also did a book called Extremity, which was excellent. He's wildly talented. He's young. He's crazy. And I'm so happy to see him working at Marvel. I want more from him immediately. You should follow him on Instagram because he will post like commissions he's done. Oh, cool. Uh, he's done like a series of Star Wars commissions that are basically basically like his take on scenes from A New Hope or Return of the Jedi or whatever. Dope. And they are mind boggling. I'm sure. Mind boggling. I'm sure. 
uh, yeah, I can't wait for this. I, I, I'm so excited. The THN trade for next week goes to Shang-Chi by Jean Luen Yang, volume one. Brothers and Sisters is its subtitle. It comes from Marvel Comics. It's written by Jean Luen Yang with art by Dyke Ron, Philip Tan, with a cover by Jim Chung. Uh, again, I apologize for those names. Not making fun. I'm just bad at it. And we don't really hear these things phonetically very often. It's 120 pages for $15.99. Here's your solicit. The Marvel Universe's greatest fighter returns to a world of death and destruction he thought he left behind. An ancient and evil secret society has remained in hiding since the death of their leader, Zheng Zhu. But now a successor has been chosen to shift the balance of power in the world. Zheng Zhu's son, Shang-Chi. In a fractious family reunion, Shang-Chi gets to know the siblings he never knew he had, including the deadly sister Hammer. That's right, it's all coming back to me now. But who among them can he trust and who is trying to kill him? Shang-Chi will find out the hard way as his life ends up on the line and the only one who can save him is his father? Yup. But isn't he dead? <laughs> this collects Shang-Chi one through five. Uh, we reviewed issue one on the show, if I recall. I reviewed uh, I yeah. really like Jin Luen Yang. And, uh, you know, the, uh, I always get a kick out of remembering that Master of Kung Fu starring Shang-Chi was created with the almost indelible use of Fu Manchu. Right. Uh, Fu Manchu was Shang-Chi's father. Why is that a problem, you may ask? Fu Manchu is a licensed character. He belongs to the Sax Romer family of characters. And uh, Marvel lost the rights in the 80s and could not reference Fu Manchu anymore. Just like Rom. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like it's like the, it's like the Micronauts that were not created by that company. Oh, you know, Commander Ran and Bug. That would be a super fun cosmic long box. The ones that got away. <laughs> oh gosh, we gotta I mean, do that. That'd be fun. I'm not even sure how we would. Um, I am caught up on this Shang Chi run. It's excellent. Jin Wang Yang good. gets it, and he's just doing it right. When you read Shang Chi. You want to read a kung fu story. That's what we're here for. It is old school Shaw Brothers slam bang kung fu, and it kicks ass. The art is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Pick this up. You can find our complete review list every Wednesday on our Twitter and Facebook if you want to read along with us. So hit up your local comic shop and pre-order all of these comics so you can play along. And don't forget to grab the THN Book Club read for this month, Scene of the Crime, which reprints the classic Vertigo crime noir series by the master, Ed Brubaker, with art by Michael Lark and Sean Phillips. It is available at your local comic shop. Now we will be reviewing it next week. True that. Excelsior. Oh. That is it for THN 615, and next week we're back to the business of reviewing new comics, and Jason Sachs, the official THN historian, drops by for another edition of Who the Hell is This Guy? The Beta Ray Bill edition. Two segments? I'm telling you. Until then, Joe Patrick, remind these nerds about the question of the week that we will be discussing on Cover to Cover this Saturday. Okay, our question of the week was inspired by this week's Cosmic Longbox theme. We want to know your favorite fictional alien race. Not like your favorite aliens versus comic, not your favorite comic book alien, 
your favorite fictional alien race. The Daleks. Yeah. The Cybermen. Whatever you want to do. You, all you can name is robots for some reason. The, <laughs> uh, no, the Daleks are living beings inside the ETs. Metal pants. You know, whatever. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, yeah, the, you know, the Shi'ar, the Kryptonians. Totally. You get the gist. Yeah. Favorite fictional alien race from any fictional media. Let's Comics, books, novels, whatever. I said books and novels, but what I meant were novels and film and television. <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> uh, please do keep your question of the week suggestions coming. If you want to wrap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerd news we're following, hit us up on our live call-in show. We mentioned it before. It's called THN Cover to Cover every Saturday at 11 Central Time, hosted on our Facebook page. You can call us at 402-819-4894 or join our Zoom chat or Zoom video feed, I guess. I don't know. Is it a chat? It's a video feed? I don't know. Join our Zoom room. Join, join our join, Zoom room. Join our Zoom meeting. Live. <laughs> we will post the link in our Facebook live video chat. If that's not confusing to you, we broadcast the video live on Facebook. We also run a Zoom where you can join us and speak to us live and in person. Absolutely. How fun is that? If you can't be there live or you want to submit anything for a show segment like Ask a Nerd or Comic Pushers or um, a, a, a request for who the hell is this guy, yeah. you could submit anything by shooting an MP3 to TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the hotline. You could and will be internet famous. We do ask that if you're leaving a message or sending an MP3, that you keep it on the shorter side, two minutes or less. We've got a lot of air to share with a lot of different nerds. And uh, as you have experienced, this show is long enough already. If you are new to this show and you would prefer an alien laying an egg deep into your chest rather than listen to any more, I assure you, it's just because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN or digital long box at twitternerd.com. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. I want to thank donors like Frank Cirillo. Frankie just happens to be joining us next week for the THN Take a Look. It's in a book club. Huh? He's a working man. Hey. We appreciate Synergy. it. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Snyder Bros everywhere who are having a tough week after King of Snyder's, Zack Snyder himself, came out and admitted there will be no sequel or future for his vision of the Justice League. Boy, that's not going to stop the comic book sites from uh, putting out news about what they had planned for <laughs> Deathstrike and all this. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Deathstroke, pardon me. Tough break for toxic man-boy fans everywhere. Yeah. Word to you guys. Chill out, guys. You'll be all right. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just set up a bunch of kick-ass DC ideas one after another after another after another after another that'll never see fruition. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. <laughs> <laughs>